Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been played before, and then we talk about them. That's right, everybody. The big 2-1. Bat, what you think? We finally made it. Our podcast can legally drink. What are the other things that you can do before you can drink? Can't you? You can join the military. You can... It's smoke. Buy lottery tickets. Buy lottery tickets, and you can smoke before you can drink. And vote. some death sticks. Vote, right? And you can vote. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's one of the important ones. Yeah. But nope, we can do Jaeger bombs all night now. Woo! Did that's what we'll be doing sticks? this episode. Did you just make a Death Sticks reference? Death Sticks? What do Was you mean Death reference? Sticks, uh, episode two? You said Death Sticks, right? Was that a band that we talked about? No, no, no. Death Sticks, like um, Star Wars. Star Wars? Eric's doing a fucking what he's bit. Talking about? What are you talking about, Eric? You're doing a bit. <laughs> What do you mean? What am I talking about? No, no, no. You, you said you death sticks like about... the Star Wars thing. Yeah, from like episode two. Episode Star... two. I don't want to buy death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. Yeah. Oh, oh, the the line. No, I Dude. thought people just call cigarettes death sticks. It's just like a thing. Oh, I I only know yeah, them. As I think this... Star Wars is like just making a joke based on the like the normal like vernacular for cigarettes i don't think it's the normal vernacular for cigarettes not anymore all right well it was like it, it was definitely a thing before star okay, wars but now you say death sticks people are gonna think the star wars thing nobody's Guy, gonna episode, think that they're gonna in think episode two and matt and i just both thought that independently yeah the guy who's like hey you ought to buy some death sticks and, and Obi Wan says no i you don't want to sell me death sticks you i don't want to buy a death sticks and then he's like okay. you want to go home and think about your life Sorry, I didn't realize this was a nerd podcast. This was a Dude, very you're... tense. Are you not doing a bit? Are you being serious? You, Jun, Luke, and Ryan would have full conversations in Star Wars reference, like much deeper into the line quoting than I would be. Yeah, but we never quoted episode two. I mean, come on, guys. Shut up. Shut up. You're off the right, show. Right. <laughs> you're off the show. Eric's off Good. the show. Good cold open, everyone. We got our we got our bit out of the way for the week. Um, yeah, so, Robbie, Robbie, do you want to introduce this yes. this week's selection for us? Let's keep going. Let's keep going before Eric can ruin it with another Star Wars bit that he didn't intend. That he didn't intend. Okay, yeah, sure. Well, my group is called the Sponge Tones, uh, and they were a 1979 American power pop band or power pop band from charlotte north carolina they've got some power bops though as you'll hear they formed out of a desire to play beatles and other 60s music they grew up with so they list lots of uh british invasion kind of influences especially the beatles which i'm sure you can uh you'll be able to hear and the birds uh so i know this is out of season but i got a christmas track and i think it's a good christmas song it's called christmas boy let's listen to christmas boy matt or Eric, or whoever has it. It's going in. Christmas boy, your time is near. Ah, it's your favorite time of year. Ah, cold night, starlight, shimmering. Sounds of laughter, bells that ring. Glittering for you. 
nice jaunty melody there. A good sort of original Christmas song, which, you know, I think we've talked about. You don't hear very often. Uh, and yeah, like we mentioned and like they listed in their influences, lots of Beatles vibes, especially like early Beatles. Uh, we hear a lot of that kind of harmonic movement that sounds very much like a Beatles thing. Lots of kind of secondary dominance thrown in, especially on like the bridge or, or that second strain there. Uh, and a lot of the guitar work, I think, like the guitar parts sound very Beatles-y to me. What do you guys think? I'm having a hard time placing... Uh, I think this mostly reminds me of a mixture of, like, Revolver. But also, I agree with you now that you pointed out, uh, like, George Harrison's kind of finger-picking style that he, like, later started using more often. Mm. Maybe, maybe like, some more White Album stuff. But I think there's something else about, like, the songwriting in particular... It's either the, the phrases are asymmetrical or varied in length, and I can't, I couldn't quite figure it out on that, on that listen through. But um, were you picking up on that, Robbie? Something about like the phrase structure, you know? Right, especially on, I think on that that second phrase, the the with the minor chords, it's like, it's either not quite as long, yeah, like you say, some amount of unevenness. I can't quite place either. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting. Now that you pointed out. I hear it a little bit. I mean, it's a subtle thing. It's not crazy, right? Yeah, very like a, subtle thing. Yeah, it's not super dramatic. Um, and you said earlier, Matt, I think Simon and Garfunkel. You got some Simon and Garfunkel vibes. I definitely heard the Beatles right away. Really like the lead singer's voice, and the harmonies are nice. Power pop. It's pop that Is makes that you a power strong. You can learn. What's that? Oh, oh I'm not going to do this with you, Eric. We're not going to do this once. I think Power Pop would be like a good um, either candy or like dessert name, you know, Power Pop. Or an energy um, drink. Ooh, yeah, a good energy drink. What was the, do you remember guys, the candy uh, that it was in like a little, it looked like a baby bottle. What was that called? Oh, the... Fucking sugar baby bottle pop, baby bottle, baby bottle pop. Yeah, sugar's there we go. There part we go. Of the title. Yeah. I they have sugar in them. I remember. But but like you'd like you'd like basically rip off the top layer of your tongue from those things because of like that sugar. Right. It's very coarse. Quite coarse. It was those and um the things they were like a like a stick that you like dipped in sugar as well. Ah uh, yes. Sticks. Yeah yeah yeah. Eric Death on sticks. his nineties on his nineties. <laughs> 90s candies that we definitely shouldn't have been eating but uh you don't want to yeah, sell me dipsticks too sugary did you guys hear that instrument in the background maybe we'll need another quick listen to it but it's like a more twangy sound on top of the guitar did you hear that robbie it almost yeah, sounds like um some, it's some kind of acoustic sort of strumming very very high high pitches high frequencies yeah kind of. it almost sounded like a dulcimer maybe or something I don't right know. that's what i was that's what i was trying to uh say dulcimer that's what i was reaching for you, you can really... cut this out but let's let's just listen to a little bit of it again yeah i don't do any cuts anymore another guitar part i hear what it you're sounds talking almost about. like another type of string on the guitar maybe like maybe um instead of i don't know nylon strings it's it's steel or something like that but it's mm -hmm. it's a much higher kind of twangy sound in my ear it adds a nice kind of richness to the sound as well as the it sounds like they're using little finger symbols 
You don't think that's I, a mandolin? I think mandolin would be a little bit more like abrasive of a sound. Really? Yeah, not quite as um, warm. There's like tinny. a warm. It's almost yeah. tinny. Yeah, yeah. tinny kind of warmth to it. There's something nice about it though. It really adds another dimension to the sound on like the those calling call call and response sort of organization to the verse, right? Yeah, something about it it seems very very familiar. Like it's definitely an instrument we should know. It resonates a little bit more than the guitar too, which is I think that's what also I'm I'm hearing kind of like enriching the sound is like a little more resonance on it. What are the maybe it's not like a keyboard based instrument, but I feel like there are keyboard instruments that make that sound that, you know, it's multiple, very thin, high strings. Robbie, do you? I mean, the only thing I can sort of think of is the dulcimer with the hammers or like, well, there's there's ones that have smaller strings, like, I don't know, the clavichord, things like that. But I don't, it doesn't sound like that. You don't think it so? could very well just be like a different set of strings on another guitar or something. That's what I'm, I, I'm kind of leaning toward because it, it it sounds it sounds strummed it somehow Does to me. It, strum, it almost to me it sounds hit because it's happening so fast it's bing right bing. no you're right that's probably hit oh you know i've seen this instrument a couple times uh used in the music videos for this this small group called pomplamoose although they're pretty big now do you know them, Robbie yeah. Pomplamoose? They do. They do all the like reharmonizations and arrangements of yeah. classic too. There's an instrument. Jack loves picking up these weird instruments. They've always used like a host of instruments since their beginning. There's one that he has. So like you know the metal times of like a uh, I don't know like an imbira or any other like metal kind of hit instrument. There's one that he's that has like a symbolism to a piano, right? Where you push and it strikes but it strikes these tinny little long that's what i was thinking of but i don't know what that is i don't know what it's called either yeah i don't know that's almost what i'm hearing i think yeah because it sounds like very tinny thin but multiple strings that you know in this effect it's more of an effect than a either way it's a really nice sound overall like the production on this had me pretty surprised because isn't this coming out of like the 90s uh let's you're right yeah, why don't Some... you give us a little bit of background on this group, Robbie? Right. So, like we mentioned, Sponge Jones, it says they, they uh, formed in 1979, but it could be in the 90s because they, well, at least on their page, they're technically still together, and I know they've been uh, active in multiple years, multiple decades even, to put out albums. Oh, uh, this was 2000, it says. Well, it's that's 2000. what Spotify says. I'm not sure yeah. if that's correct, but it could be, right? But yeah, no, it certainly could be with the, the timeline of the band. Because uh, it looks like no, I don't have... think it's right because they have four albums that say 2000. Oh, that's true. It could be just when it. I mean, that'd be pretty prolific. Four albums one year. Right. Uh, they just had a lot of ideas one year. One of them was a Christmas album. I also really got to say I appreciate the name, the Sponge Tones. That's like that, a. It's a good name. It Who's is. the other the, the something tones? Deftones. Deftones is a band. The... Yeah. There's other tones. I, I think. think we need other ad lib tones. Like uh, I don't, I don't know, something mundane like the sponge tones is very funny sounding to me. Sponge tones. I feel like a lot of acapella groups have tones in the name. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe we don't need any more. Right. What was the one from the office? Uh, Andy's group. Oh. Uh... Uh, here comes treble. Was that the that's name it. of the group? That was it. Yeah, it was that's here like comes half treble. The acapella. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was probably a real group that one of the writers knew in college. Oh, I'm sure. Maybe it's even a real group at Cornell or like very close to a real group at Cornell. All right, cool. So, uh, no, good track, Robbie. I like that one. Fun show. Thank you. Gonna add that to the list. All right. That brings us to Matt. Matt, what do you got for us today? So I have this track. It's called Inverted Palms, and it's by the group uh, Glowing Rain Family off of their album uh, Gemstoned. I really appreciate the pun there. Uh, I, I actually, I couldn't find much about this group. They had like a band camp page, but like... Eric, what the fuck? I thought I had paused it. I thought I had paused it. All right, rookie mistake. Not supposed to do that. (laughs) Sleep at the wall. All right, go. Eric experiencing firsthand the stress that I endured hosting the music for every other episode. (laughs) I just fucking love. We got to watch him go up and leave it. Then go back down. Uh, we could see your thought process. <laughs> yeah, because I always had to be afraid of doing that too. Because, mm. especially, yeah, for what Eric just did, you have to like do that, but you've got to make sure that the sound is off. And I think I never did what Eric did. I think what I did instead was sometimes I would start the tracks with the vol- with the volume all the way down, and then I'd be like, "Whoops, gotta try that again. Cut it out, Robbie." And no one ever knew any better, but. Yeah, it's it isn't isn't it fun being behind the wheel, Eric? Watch We're leaving this in. You, you took it for granted, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so uh, this track is it's called Inverted Palms. It's by Glowing Rain Family. I couldn't find much about them on the interwebs, but I don't know. Maybe some of the more internet savvy uh, listeners out there will be able to find them. But how about you uh, just let it play from about the one minute mark, Eric? <laughs> So this track, initially on my uh, my listen through it, the first the little bit that I, I got on Forgotify, I first started listening to it and going like, oh, it's another one of those kind of like, we get a lot of experimental electronic music when we're, sh- when we're kind of like sifting through these tracks. And at first I thought this was going to be another one of those strange little uh, soundscapes that we encounter at times. But um, the more I listened, the longer I listened, I realized that there are some actually really cool processes happening, some very interesting musical processes that I like quite a lot. And for those of us, our, our more classically music-inclined listeners, this reminded me so much of um, the American min- minimalism music from around like the 1970s and 80s. And I think that was your first knee-jerk reaction when you listened to this too, right, Robbie? You'd mentioned that? Yeah, no, definitely... Uh, some Philip Glass or Steve Reich vibes. Yeah, it definitely immediately <clears throat> struck me as either music for 18 musicians or Einstein on the beach, kind of like that era of, of, of music. And I really like that. Um, so basically to my ears, what it sounds like is happening. And I wonder if you would also be able to pick up on this, Robbie. It sounds like there were at times kind of, uh, what are those called? Sequencers? Kind of sequencer type effects or arpeggiators, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I really? 
at times. It that sounded to me like is it a very specific bad. sound. Like, but I, uh, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's just sort of a, a way they're phasing. Yeah, and then it started to sound like phasing. Because when I yeah. first started listening, it sounded like, okay, they're just holding down the notes on the arpeggiator and like putting it through a fairly a fairly random sounding arpeggiator, maybe, or something like that. But then in some of the other parts, you can hear um, that the, the, the sounds are actually overlapping and phasing out of sync with one another. And it provides a really nice contrast to like this stable, uh, what is that, like an egg shaker? I saw you catch that earlier too, Eric. Like yeah. the egg shaker keeps the pulse grounded and then the the beat kind of shifts and phases around that. And it, it creates a really nice experience to listen to, especially with headphones on too. Yeah, it's very nice. And the the opening, um, I kind of made a joke when we listened to this the first time, is a very soundscapey vibe when you first start. Those who are fans of The Office know that Gabe, one of the main characters in what, season seven? Late season, yeah. Is a, yeah, late, one of the late seasons. It's super into soundscapes. And it kind of has that vibe. But yeah, then it transforms into something... It's a lot better, in my opinion. Yeah, this sort of minimalist phasing. I think Music for 18 Musicians was a really good comparison. Steve Reich-ish, Steve Reich-ish um, kind of style music. Yeah, the uh, texture just kind of Yeah, unfolds. it's a nice texture. It like unfolds yeah. very organically. There's not... like um, Sometimes I think with Philip Glass, it's a little too... Uh, predictable or like the the rate at which the music unfolds is very like it's it's hard to explain whereas like uh steve reich and uh, john adams I, f I feel like it's more of like when the music becomes comfortable it, it shifts and like that's kind of what i was hearing with this one you know and it also has a nice uh build and forward momentum you know it's not really getting stuck it stays yeah. just long enough to establish and then yeah you're right it's got really really nice pacing um, it's a pleasant listen. Robbie, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think this is another, uh, well, another way to come at the idea of narrative in music and how just, uh, you know, like you said, this forward momentum, this idea in some way we're going from A to B or, or, or something is, uh, you know, I think a big part of what makes a lot of music compelling. And even for something, you know, that's minimalist or that's like this, it, it's sort of very uh you know there's kind of like you say a narr or like a structure to the way these different uh patterns are put together or these different atmospheres are kind of invoked that you know they lead from one to the next and that gives me a sense of narrative even if it's not like the same thing as you get in a traditional melody oh yeah. also i forgot one bit of trivia about the band that i actually did find when i looked them up you know there's not much about them but it says that they this this band this album is uh, featuring members of Rugs, and that's Rugs with a silent W at the start, so W R U G S, and Sleepy Villas, like Villas, like V I L L A S. But when I looked up those bands, I was also unable to find anything about them. So we would really love to know more about them, but unfortunately, I, I couldn't find much. Either way, I'm a huge fan of. I checked out some of the other uh, songs on this album too, and it seems all pretty like in line with this. So totally worth looking it up this is their only album i believe and that's again called a uh, gem stoned very i'm sorry did you say there were two members of the group no, i think it says two? featuring members of the two groups 
rugs without oh, a w and sleepy vias villas unless it's one band that's called rugs and sleepy vias but i think it's two groups maybe interesting i um for some reason i just expected this to be like a solo project maybe it's like a side project for members of those other two groups you know yeah yeah and sorry to call you out on the arpeggiator i i mean i honestly i don't use that kind of stuff enough to know but i oh, just again, associate I'm... that with like a a very specific I'm, sound. I'm pretty unknowledgeable yeah. myself with um, synthesizers, but that was the only thing that I could immediately think of that might create that kind of effect. Because it is yeah. like a set pattern. That's where the phasing comes in, right? It's like the set sort of pattern that's being displaced again and again against itself, right? Yeah. Or that's yeah. the that's the idea with when we talk about phasing in music. That's that's what they mean. Yeah, but what it's is, cool to hear it in a pop context. I what think it's just called piano, piano, piano phase. phase. Yeah, piano phase. Okay. Um, for those who kind of want the origin or like the OG phasing piece, piano phase by Steve Reich um, is that piece. It's worth checking out. It's like 15 minutes of notes slowly being displaced one at a time. Have you guys seen the guy who plays it by himself? Yes, yeah, I did see this. That's, that's like, crazy stuff. That's crazy. <laughs> You wonder like the sheer what is going on in his brain. How nothing. yeah, how does a person do that? I think that you've gotta become one with the force and just like zen out in order to like play that one, you know? Man, all these Star Wars references today. It's your fault, Eric. You didn't even know what you had set in motion when you dropped your little death sticks line. He but did, Robbie... I still buy it. Right. I still I mean vague recollection. I find your lack of faith disturbing, frankly, Robbie. Yeah, so funny. Take it away, <laughs> Mr. Star Wars boy. What do you got for us? All right. I'll talk a little bit about the band after we hear the first track, but we're going to be listening to Earth Dogs and Eggshells by the Parachute Men on their said, uh, same title album, Earth Dogs and Eggshells. Um, it's, I guess that'd be called the title track, right? Indeed it would be. I call it Death Sticks. <laughs> Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of background on this band. The Parachute Men formed in 1985 with a lineup of Fiona Gregg, Stephen H. Gregg, Howard, Andrew Howes, and Mark Boyce. They spent two years gigging and were signed by a large London indie label, Fire Records, in 1987. Their first release was a four-track EP in 1988, and... They made their debut album the same year, and it was in the top 50 albums of that year. They made basically one more album, I think this one. Yeah, they made this one in 1990, and then ended up splitting a few years later. I can't get an exact date on when they split, but it was the early 1990s. But yeah, so the song, the sound, I think, of the band, it's very interesting, right? Um... I feel like it could exist in a lot of different decades. 
I'm not sure I would have guessed mid-1980s. I mean, it was certainly a possibility, mm. but it could have fit a lot of places. Sorry, um, what was the country of origin for this band? It's it's England. Um, okay, Leeds, okay, that's what England I thought. specifically, and then I think they moved to London at some point. Um, and yeah, you don't necessarily get the strong British accent with the lead vocals. It's like a very subtle kind of those non-rhotic R's maybe, but that's a pretty popular singing thing in general, right? Like softening R's at the ends of words. That was the only thing that kind of pointed me towards like England. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I really didn't catch it. Um, I didn't either. No. The only other yeah. one was that immediately for me, for some reason, this both this track and the other one that you showed us really reminded me of the Cure. I think more so the other track. Can we listen to that one right now? Actually. Yeah. Let's. All right. So that was their self-titled track, which basically has no. Um, no listens on Spotify, but this track actually has a few thousand listens, and I think for good reason. So we're about to listen to just the beginning of Every Other Thursday. see why that one specifically has a lot of plays i mean that's a really really upbeat nice sound right yeah a little bit on the nose and i think this is also why it reminded me specifically of um friday i'm in love by the cure uh i hear it now yeah i mean obviously the subject matter of of like you know a days of the week but like that that guitar sound the general sound of the mix and like the style of the singing really reminiscent for me of just that one track by the cure as soon as you pointed it out i definitely hear it i think that's a great comparison um it's interesting because i think yeah this i can see why this band was signed you know like was a signed band and not by a small label they have a great sound um lead vocalist has a really interesting voice i always find it interesting well i find it interesting that they're called the parachute men but you know their lead vocalist is a woman yeah, I didn't want to say anything, like, but that totally took me by surprise when the singing started. In um, you first showed us every other Thursday, and like I was just kind of jamming along with like the guitar introduction, and then the the woman started singing, and I was like, "Wait, what? The parachute men?" But I mean, maybe we're looking at like kind of like a fireman, gender neutral parachute men. I don't know. This could be a, I could be shooting myself in the foot real bad right now. <laughs> it's actually supposed to be one word: the parachute men. There we go. Parachute man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I like this band. I wonder if our friend James Edge uh, would know this band because it seems like they, they got some traction if you made the top 50 albums of that year. You know, yeah, I was like, going to say, it's pretty big. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think of the band? Sorry, I'm kind of just rambling. No, I, I mean, I agree. I think they've got a really nice sound to them. Like you say, I, I can definitely see, you know, why they were signed. And I like a lot of the stuff, especially in this last one, Every Other Thursday, I think, is our favorite of the two. Uh, and I would agree with that that sentiment. 
Uh, I like the intro, especially that, that was like the two back to six, two minor chords going back and forth between one another. I mean, it's very diatonic chord progression, but I, I think it has some interesting moves uh, in it. I think I also really like the the strumming pattern, the, the finger picking of the intro. Did you catch like the rhythm? It's very interesting rhythm, right? Like it's got like a dun da da dun da 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 Got some syncopation in there. That's why. Yeah, it's very propulsive. Yeah. Very propulsive. You yeah. know, this is also very needle droppy to me. Like in a movie, I said the name of the show. Like in a movie, like this would start and then it would cut to the person like doing the first part of their day where we get oh, the yeah. montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. Like they're out for their run. And like right. a little bit of the song plays. And then it dims down for parts of the dialogue. As all the crazy characters are introduced doing whatever their fucking thing is. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, this this would be like a good... um. Oh, you know what? I could I could see this being in the background of like... You remember the golden era of Michael Sarah awkward teenage romance movies? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Super <laughs> this bad. Could, and, uh... This would totally be in like the the soundtrack for for maybe like nick and nora's infinite playlist and then everyone's looking up this song and like it it, it suddenly surges up on the charts didn't that happen probably with like some some songs from like juno i think it did yeah well the playlist was infinite so true lots of songs to search through man i remember That's true. there was a there was an asian guy in that movie and for a little while there's like decades, not decades, eras of which Asian guy from like movies I'm being compared to. And <laughs> that's how, how I keep track of the time. In high school, uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist came out in high school and people were like, hey, did you see that movie? There's like a guy who looks like you in that movie. And I'm like, gee, I wonder if it's Michael Sarah." And then like years later, I saw it and I was like, OK, he kind of looks like me. And then in college, it was... I hated this one. It was the guy from The Hangover, Ken Jeong. But you don't look like him. No, yeah, I don't look anything. He's much like older him. than you. <laughs> I mean, he's Korean. And not even... Like, even if you were aged to that age, yeah. you still wouldn't look like him. I'm yeah. like, it's it's literally just the Asian guy. I remember, you know, I was just like out and about and some drunk girls were like, hey, you look like the guy from The Hangover. And I was like... Oh yeah, Zach Alphanakis, I get that all the time. Look just like him. <laughs> Got him. But then at the nice. end of college and then like during my masters it was uh The Walking Dead was still pretty much like at its peak. So oh, I was getting a lot of so, uh, a lot of Glenn. Uh Steven Yoon. Yeah. That I'll take that one. Steven Yoon. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can take I know. that one. With that yeah. we all could be compared to Steven Yoon. Yeah, yeah. And uh his he was just in like a big movie that's like winning awards um have you guys seen stuff for it it's called minari minari i know i haven't seen this one i'm i'm actually really excited to see it uh i can't see it yet but like soon it's going to be like available for streaming nice is it a korean movie no it's 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 like it's about a korean family that moves to the u.s in the 80s or 90s maybe they like move to alabama to like you know start their life together in like the u.s but um it's about like kind of you know like the american dream story more like the, okay. the immigrants and american dream it was by the same production studio that did the farewell i think a24 oh okay okay yeah i know this yeah movie. the aquafina movie yeah right, right right i don't think i've seen that one but it's already been okay. like claiming awards at its like small screenings and stuff and I'm i'm really excited to see it he's a good actor 
Yeah, he's great. Uh, like his... Cool. I'll make a mental note of that. Um, we're, what were we talking about? I don't... I don't, I don't remember. I mean, who remembers? Oh, we were we were talking about how this this song sounds like it'd be really good for like a early two oh, thousands, yeah, right. like a, yeah, like, movie. Like a text crawl comes on on screen, like letting you know where you are in the trilogy, and um, you know. Well, I don't know about that. I was thinking more like it. Uh, it's no, like cinematic, you know, like they're letting you know that the oh fuck, he's doing another Star Wars thing. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> I was thinking maybe this song is playing and it's like uh, Portland, Maine, 1998 or whatever, like right. on the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You see some uh, people Chef. smoking an unknown substance. Not does... a death stick, but, uh, you know. Oh, and you see some, some other cultural markers of the 90s to let you know that this was, in fact, the 90s. Peace signs. Oh, well, I guess that's later than the 90s. Dude, yeah. that's like the 60s. Yeah, I know. Or, I mean, earlier. 90s. Maybe someone's playing on, like, a Nintendo, you know? Or an Atari. Maybe Mario's there. Maybe Mario himself is in attendance. Mario's there and Sonic is there and they kiss. That's the start (laughs) of our movie. Scene two. We open on. (laughs) No, come on. We got it. We must continue. I feel like, Robbie, that's just like a... That's... Robbie's just, like, quoting generic shitposting now. (laughs) I was off the dome. This is going to be our hit. What makes us the money? <laughs> I don't think we own the uh, intellectual property there. That yeah, will I, not get away, get in the way of art. Apparently, I think we need to censor us. that part because that's not our IP. Yeah. yeah, no, good, good tracks. I, I would listen to this band. I don't. Yeah, we got, we got too far away. Guys. We got way <laughs> too far off topic with that one. <laughs> yeah. When we, when we get to Mario and Sonic kissing, I, I just... Uh, <laughs> That's the new thing. If you bring up I Star Wars, I'm going to talk about Mario and Sonic kissing. But I, I actually do want to talk about that. We, we we always like when we find good music for the show. Because we either have a tendency... I've noticed now that like you know we, we've reached our 21st episode. We all kind of have like a, a tendency to pick either... Silly things, right? We we always love bringing in the silly or just outright like weird eccentric music where it's like, what do you guys think of this? What do you make of this? But I think this was a real episode of us bringing in stuff where it's like, hey, check out like I like this track a lot and I would listen to it, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Lots yeah. of really good music. This was a good episode for that. And with uh, bands like uh, the Parachute Men, you mentioned this sometimes too, Eric is. You always wonder, like, how much of it's the arbitrary hand of fate that prevents bands like this that very well could and should and maybe did have a bigger following from um, blowing up more than they did, right? And becoming, like, a cultural staple, right? Yeah, it just seems there's so many, so many bands that really could have made it and just for whatever reason didn't. Um, And I guess, you know, getting into the cultural canon is... I mean, so many things have to happen that are totally out of your control, right? And uh, there can only be so many. What if the Sponge Tones had become the the household name instead of you know the, the Beatles, right? The world. I mean, that may have been hard know. since they were like a Beatles cover band to start with. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you're not wrong. Like, Time itself uh, folds in on itself in the wake of the Sponge Tones <laughs> and their success. <laughs> They have claimed the soul of the Beatles, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is always interesting to think about, you know, like, 
And then you have to think about, you know, the band fell apart relatively quickly. You know, I guess they lasted about five years. But I was, you know, I took a class once where in the modern era, you know, where he was a chamber musician specifically, but his big thing was in the modern era with the internet, with like all these things that are helping us get our things out. If you don't do something for five years, don't expect for it to ever really take off. Like five years is the minimum of like really trying to get yourself out there before you can expect like if anything less than five years and you got lucky. And so this band lasted about five years. And that's interesting. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard when you don't, when things don't really pop off to keep going. But I wonder, had they lasted 10 years or 15 years, would it have eventually reached enough of a critical mass to propel them to that next level? That's interesting. That reminds me of two other kind of quotes about similar types of things that I heard. There is one, maybe like three quotes. I remember there was one professor I had that said, um, I think she was speaking more to like composing, but like in our field and music, it's not always about like, you know, get hitting it big right away. Like not many people hit it big right away. In many cases, it's yeah. about outlasting and like doing this thing for as long as you can until it eventually like works itself out in some way or another. And then that reminds me of a, another quote that is like artists have like five years or something. I want to say five or 10 years where they're like in the sun and they're like producing and they're at their peak. And it was like, how will you spend those, like those years? Right. Kind of like what will you do in that time but then on the i kind of in the contrary to that there's a thing in like k-pop in the k-pop industry called like the five-year curse and it's that most groups actually don't last beyond five years and like after after about five years is when the group either disintegrates into their own solo projects and, and like you know they're they're now brand ambassadors models occasionally putting out their solo songs or actors or stuff like that or that the you know they just don't make it yeah that's, that's i mean the k-pop industry curse. is such its own yeah it's its, its own, own beast. thing though yeah i feel like with those groups it's probably more of just like a burnout thing like they ex- completely exhaust the capabilities of the group within five years but it's still an interesting thing that like you know k-pop bands are so mass-produced and like replaceable with one another that idea of making it five years right that is interesting but that like the whole industry is behind them right so like they yeah it's basically like yeah they get their five years in the sun but it's an immediate and meteoric rise to that sun level right yeah and then you're there and you gotta like try and fly as close to the sun for as long as you can because yeah it's it's melting and you can feel it melting oh yeah that's interesting though um but the groups yeah, that I don't know. do I think outlast about that. in five the groups that do outlast the five years are the ones that like you know they're the big cultural icons right yeah sure i think that i think about what you the other quote you said a lot you know where you have to outlast kind of your competition in that regard like with auditioning um yeah before covid hit of course like i was hard on the audition trail like trying to win a job as like a professional clarinetist and I think what people don't really understand about orchestral musicians trying to win jobs is 
it's very, very, very time consuming and it's very, very, very expensive. Like at a certain point, if it's not gonna, if it's not working and you have any aspirations of, you know, settling down and having a family and like having kids, it's very hard to do them both at the same time. So it's not uncommon for like people to be mid twenties, say, all right, I need to get a job, like a real job, give up that, well, not a real job, but like a job that's not music that pays the bills, um, give up that dream, have kids, have a family. And then like 15 years down the road when they're in their thirties or forties, get back on the audition trail because they have the time and the money again to try and win that job finally. Really? Do you encounter um, people that are like what you just said, let's say late thirties, forties that are like, yeah, I'm back on the audition circuit. Yep. Yep. In fact, like I've been in final rounds where two of the people were, one was a, was a mom who had had kids and had, hadn't put the instrument away, but had put like her career aspirations on pause to raise her kids. And then when they got old enough to, you know, sort of, you know, not need constant looking after it was back on the, back on the trail, trying to win a, win a job. Man, that's crazy. I can't imagine. I think you and I have talked about this. Like, you know, there's a point in your musical career where you feel like you hit your peak as a performer, probably where you're like in your prime. And for me, that time has passed. I'm, unless I really put in some intense work, I am not going to reach my, my peak oboe skill again, probably. I probably didn't even reach it to begin with. I probably stopped before that. But like, I can't imagine, you know, 10 years, you know, building your little family and then being like, I need to become a competitive musician again and like compete with these like crazy kids coming out of Peabody and Juilliard playing like Paganini Capriccios on their clarinets. I think it would be, yeah, yeah, you have to be in a special mindset and the level only gets higher every year. Um, And that's something I think about a lot too, like. There are high school kids playing the Nielsen Concerto. And like 40 years ago, that was like an insane piece that only absolute monsters could even think about, you know, approaching. And every year, and like now, that's just, it's standard fare. Like, you just learn it. Like, what's wrong with you? It's not that hard, you know? Like, God, you, you haven't played that yet? Like, it's, that's almost what it's become. You know? Or even like uh, the waterfall from uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice. What, like, right? What was it? Firebird? Was it Firebird when it first came out? The or Rite of Spring when it first came out? The musicians revolted and were like, "We're yeah. not going to play this," and so they fired them all and got people that would. And now it's just standard fare that you know, good high school orchestras play. Rite of Spring, you the know? bassoon, the bassoon solo that has become, like high school kids play it you should know how to play it and at the time that was groundbreakingly hard like the high b i think it's a high b yeah in, in right of spring bassoon solo yeah yeah that skill ceiling yeah, it so feels it's, like it's constantly going up yeah and this and maybe every generation has felt like oh my god the level's just getting that much higher but really does feel like an arms race the last 10 years have been crazy from me being in high school to me being, you know, where I am now, like the level. Should we uh, go to that part of the episode where we talk about what we listened to this week? Sure. Sure. All right, Robbie, why don't you lead us off? So this week, I'm going to hit you with an old favorite. It's the album Red Clay by Freddie Hubbard. 
1970s jazz album, CTI Records, classic label, classic album. Really one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I think I've heard know. this one. Have you, have you listened to it? I think I have listened to Red Clay. It's been a while. It's a good, well, I mean, it's got basically all the the greats from that time. Freddie Hubbard, Herbie Hancock, uh, Ron Carter, yeah. Joe Henderson, Lenny White is on the drums. But it's a great album, if, especially if you like maybe electronic or, or funk-influenced jazz. I think that's probably about as good as you get um, for my money. So, Red Clay. Matt, what do you got for us? Yeah, this week, uh, <clears throat> or lately, I've been playing this... Uh... I think I told you about it, Eric. I've been playing this mod of Pokemon Emerald that makes the game like obscenely hard, like frustratingly hard. Yes. So I've been I've been on a big nostalgia kick for like video game music from when I was a kid, and my friend recommended me. I don't know how I'd never heard of this group until like a little while ago. Have you guys heard of the Eight Bit Big Band? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Eight Bit Big Band. They do really like high quality covers of like basically music from games and like tv shows from when we were kids kind of um so i've been listening to like a lot of their stuff and i i I really like it it's it's nice not only for the nostalgia faction or factor but like uh the arrangements are really good and and like innovative some really creative ideas so i would i would just check out anyone check out 8-bit big band it's a lot of fun very cool okay yeah i'm gonna check that out um this week there was a new release by Anthony McGill. Anthony McGill is the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. And he is on Uncovered, Volume 1, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, who um, was a... He's, he's like a criminally underknown composer from, you know, the 20th century. And so he plays the clarinet quintet. Um he just plays the Samuel Coleridge Schiller clarinet quintet. So fantastic recording. The piano quintet in G minor and five bandits she took for string quartet is also on that album. Both like awesome pieces. If you don't know the music of Samuel Coleridge Taylor, you should really check it out because some really incredible stuff. He was known as the black mauler of his day. He was English. Also confusingly not to be confused with Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a 18th century English poet and philosopher. Because that's who came up first, unfortunately, in my Google search. Man, the, actually, like I like the clarinet quintet, but you guys should really check out that string quartet. That thing is insane. What was it? Samuel Coleridge Taylor string quartet? It's called Five Fantasy Stuck for String Quartet. It's opus number five. Um, opus five. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah, I'll give it a listen. One of the better string quartets. Uh, like, I mean, string quartet obviously has so many unbelievable pieces, just like as a as a genre of music, but or as yeah. an ensemble. I need to write me one of those, and I'm I'm like so afraid to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I can imagine like. It's just a tall order. It's like writing for solo yeah. piano. I hate doing it. I feel like writing for solo piano as a non-virtuosic pianist is just well. Here's yeah, what I did. A tall order. <laughs> I actually the piece that's going to get its premiere in February. Um, my my old roommate and friend Minju, she told me, "Can you write me like a 
sort of a showpiece it's something that's like challenging you know uh sounds cool and she i appreciate it sometimes when musicians do this they're like sort of similar to this nothing specifically similar but like atmospherically similar to sure. this kind of piece right so she showed me um do you know this piece robbie it's called gargoyles by lieberman oh yeah yeah, yeah. gargoyles yeah, I know it's that. a showpiece it's a, it's a showstopper and, yeah right and um so she's been telling me for years like write me one of these and i'll play it and i'll record it and i was like okay but i never had like a chance or funding to reason to write it right so i i wrote um this piece with all that in mind and i was like okay what's like a really hard piano piece right because i want to do stuff that's idiomatic but hard um so i looked up uh gaspar de la nuit by by ravel by our boy ravel it was apparently hysterically short and i did not know that at the time he wrote it like many parts of gaspar de la nuit was like considered some of the hardest piano music is that right robbie it is very difficult that's i don't know i'm not familiar with that bit of its reputation but i can say for sure it is very hard well at the time at least ravel was like i'm gonna write something that's like maybe the hardest piano piece that's ever been written so he wrote that and then i just i took some of the ideas from that changed the notes and like altered the rhythms a little bit and came up with my own like twisted version of it and i remember just showing it to ryan being like hey ryan can you play this and he's like oh yeah but uh, oh, i don't know it's it's really hard let me just check and this is ryan like the the juilliard born and bred piano shredder being like matt this is hard <laughs> all right so i think that's it cut this awkward silence and then we're good to go robbie sounds good <laughs> i always do can I'm you guys for... hear my cat just like scratching in the background yeah is that what that is yeah she's she scratching over i wasn't sure what was, what was there <laughs> She keeps scratching at her post. Oh. All right, Robbie, you want to do our outro? Yeah. Sure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Episode 21. If you could, if you enjoyed the show, please like and review and follow it on wherever you watch, on iTunes, on Spotify. Leave us a review and a rating. We would really appreciate it. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Drop the Needle in the Haystack and on Twitter at Drop Haystack. So give us a call. Or not a call, a text, not a text, a tweet. <laughs> a tweet. End the show. Eric, end the show. I'm, I'm spiraling. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>